Hello, and welcome to Writing the Coast. I'm your host, Megan Cole, and Writing the Coast is the official podcast of the BC and Yukon Book Prizes. On Writing the Coast, you'll hear conversations with the winners and finalists of the annual BC and Yukon Book Prizes, as well as interviews with book lovers from across the province and territory. My guest for this episode works to support British Columbia's creative sectors, including book publishers. Here she is to introduce herself. Hello, my name is Prem Gill and I'm the CEO of Creative BC and I'm really delighted to be here to chat with you. In my conversation with Prem, we swoon over beautiful cookbooks and talk about how Creative BC helps book publishers overcome some of the challenges facing the industry. Here's my conversation with Prem Gill. If you could read only one book or watch one TV show for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? I was just having this conversation with my team about how to answer this question um, because there's so many possibilities. (laughs) I don't. um, Okay, so I'm not a person who reads books more than once. I know a lot of people go back to them and I kind of go through phases of reading. Like we just had a holiday season pass. So, you know, I I read a book, which had been a while since maybe the summer that I sat down and read a fiction book. But I guess one of the things that I always sort of gravitate towards, guys, this question to me is sort of like, what's your comfort book or comfort watch? And you can answer that in so many ways. And for me, it's always a lot to do with food or cooking or discovery of that type of thing. So, you know, I like watching the New York Times cooking videos on YouTube or um, salt, fat, acid heat on Netflix, all of that kind of genre. And that's the kind of stuff I find I might go back to again and again, because it's also learning about other people and their stories and more um, factual than fiction. Although I also admitted to my team that I have watched the entirety of the West Wing more than once. <laughs> all possible seasons. And even if it's just such a funny thing sometimes, right? Because you're like, I know what's going to happen, yet I want to watch the next episode. But So that's how I would answer that question. I also have a large collection of cookbooks that I will go back to. So that would probably be, you know, the desert island, um, you know, having, you know, an Autolenghi cookbook with me would be of great comfort and resource, hopefully. Yeah. I was going to ask, I have a big cookbook collection myself, and I was going to ask what some of your favorites are. Do you have others that you cook from regularly other than? Yeah. So yes, definitely all the entirety of the Otto Lange collection. And I was recently in London, so I felt like I went to the, you know, I went to Otto Lange and um, to a couple of his restaurants as well. Um, What else do I cook from? Uh, more recently, you know, there's some classic like Nigella recipes, Mother Joffrey's recipes are like they are consistent from, uh, you know, her early books till all the iterations that she's done. So she was kind of a the leader in Indian cookery and bringing it sort of more broadly to the world. Um, you know, there's again kind of from that New York Times Bon Appetit food world. Um, I have a subscription to the New York Times food app, so which, you know, you can access. The funny thing is, I don't know if you're like this. I have all these cookbooks that I like to look at. But if I'm like, I have this cabbage, I just go on to like the New York Times food app and figure out what I'm going to do with that cabbage. (laughs) And it might lead me to an Autolenghi recipe or Sola El Whaley or somebody like that. So, yeah, a lot of a lot of that. And then all the um, other people that have written books with Autolenghi, like, 
Sammy, Tim, I think you say his name, Sammy Tamimi, and it just goes on and on. So yes, it's my, uh, you know, probably over-indexing on what an individual needs in terms of how much you cook versus how many cookbooks you have. Oh, absolutely. And it's hard to, I, I'm going through this thing right now. I was telling my husband, I'm like, I need to call <laughs> the cookbook collection, but yeah. it's really, I've done it like twice in my life and I find it so hard to get rid of cookbooks. I moved a couple of years ago and I did do that. Because so way back early in my career, um, like going back to the mid 2000s, I produced a cooking show. So we used to get a lot of cookbooks. So I still had many from that time. And some of them were like, why am I hanging on to this smoothie cookbook? Cookbook. <laughs> yeah. Air quoting for those who can't see me right now. So there's some, some things like that. But then there's, yeah, there's a lot of some of the, just the artwork and photography in these books can be really beautiful. Like yeah. Samin Nasrat's books are lovely yeah i have a few really old um fuchsia dunlop uh cookbooks the, and yeah. they were these big beautiful almost like travel books and she did okay. one for india <laughs> and that area and then one for mm -hmm. southeast uh, asia like more like thailand vietnam cambodia and it was just like i i've probably had them since i was 18 years old and i cart them like every time i move i put them in a box and i'm like yeah. i haven't cooked from these in so long <laughs> but i just can't give them up so there you go answer to your not a silly question but you know we can do a whole podcast on this yes <laughs> i would love to do it just a cookbook <laughs> podcast but uh, I mean, the reason I would love to talk more about cookbooks, but of course, the reason uh, we invited you to be on the podcast was to talk a bit about Creative BC. So maybe we'll just start by if you could talk about what Creative BC is and the work that you do there. So Creative BC, we are an independent economic development organization, but we are funded by the provincial government and with a very specific mandate and service agreement from the province to support the economic development of BC's creative industries. And that includes publishing, book publishing, magazines, digital interactive media, film and television, and music. So across all of those industries, we provide a wide range of services and supports from grant programs to export marketing support, we're also the film commission for the province, and we also administer the film incentive tax credit programs on behalf of the province. So we really see ourselves as like a catalyst to help the sectors grow and develop through our funding programs, uh, through partnerships. We often partner internationally within Canada. We provide supports for um, like the book publishing industry in particular, for people to attend things like the Frankfurt Book Fair, um, or other major publishing events, we provide some operational supports to the ABPBC, the Association of BC Book Publishers, um, and, uh, you know, really work closely with them in understanding the needs of the publishers and how vast some of our programs can support their ongoing development and continuing both that capacity building, but also, you know, we know all the challenges that people have gone through the last few years, so you know, how, how do we sometimes need to pivot things that we're doing to support that? Yeah. You talked a little bit about the supporting publishing and, and by default, therefore supporting writers, but could you expand a little bit more on, on how Creative BC supports writing and publishing? Yeah. So we, I mean, I, I, first of all, I think we're very fortunate that we have, you know, really vibrant literary and publishing community here in BC. Um, I think it's a really key component 
a component. It may not be the largest part of our creative sector, but it is a key component of it because it drives so many important things. You know, and, and I think it's, uh, so I really think, so first of all, that that's important to acknowledge and recognize the the value that the sector brings across the across the board. And our focus really from a literary and publishing perspective directly is supporting the BC publishing industry itself, which actually the BC publishers represent 20% of the English language publishers in the country. Um, you know, we have, I think there's 46 publishers. Um, you know, they've had books that have been on CBC reads lists, um, nominated for all kinds of awards, and that can't be underestimated, the work that they're doing and how they're then able to support writers. So I think in terms of how through book publishing we support the literary world is really the supports that we can provide um, to the publishers and to the industry associations to be able to help them to uh, attract titles and, and work with writers. Um, we also, you know, through not directly working with the book publishers necessarily, but, you know, we have a province full of diverse storytellers. And I think if anything resonated over the uh, pandemic and on and even before that is the importance of local stories and people we can connect with and relate to. And that is across the board in the creative industries, you know, for, um, you know, one example is that, you know, I think there's more uh, First Nations, Inuit and Métis publishers. So, and, you know, supporting that who are supporting stories that have maybe are being now retold from a different authentic point of view than maybe they were before and what they can do with that. And then, you know, the, in general, the work sort of supported by the publishers to foster that kind of building of community and understanding, I think, becomes a really a, important part of this. We also support writers in film and television. So that's, again, not uh, directly with the hook lens, but it is part of the broader writing talent community. So we have programs here in BC that have received support from Greater BC. One of them is the Pacific Screenwriters Institute, which is basically, um, for a lack of a better way of describing it, it's like a lab that uh, helps develop showrunners. So if anybody's familiar with a writer's room for a television series, there's usually the lead person is called a showrunner. The showrunner is the lead in usually the person who's original IP, the idea was they bring a writer's room together. And what happens through the Pacific Screenwriters Program is that it's kind of, they, they get to do a practice writer's room with, an, with a working screenwriter. And the idea behind that is to develop and strengthen not just the um, skills for the local writers, but also hopefully maybe there'll be more writing rooms that can develop here in BC for you know local content, local TV series, or perhaps a film. And I think that becomes really important. Um, <clears throat> we also provide support to the publishers to be able to attend markets around the world. And that may be another place where they attract, um, you know, they can then go and connect with writers and obtain rights from around the world. We recently launched an IP rights program, but basically it's an IP development program that producers can access to be able to um, obtain the rights to, it could be a book, it could be a podcast, it could be some other type of content to be able to develop into a television series or a film. So I think that's really interesting and kind of cool in the sense that how many films do we know that started out as books, right? And what, what seems to resonate a lot, both in television and film, 
is, um, you know, familiarity, like, you know, whether it's Handmaid's Tale or Harry Potter or any number of other things that, that you don't learn till later, like Big Little Lies was based on a book. Well, I didn't know that till after I'd seen the series. So, you know, that can be really interesting for producers as well to be able to leverage, you know, original content like that and, and parlay it into another medium. And, you know, part of it is helping folks develop just more business skills as well. So often when we're supporting, you know, events like at VIP, the Vancouver International Film Festival or the Vancouver Asian Film Festival, it's usually around skills and professional development. And again, we don't, uh, I think there's a lot of writers who have those skills and maybe they want to develop them more and they can participate in these things. Often you have people who are writer directors as well. So that's not unusual that the same person does multiple things. Um, but I think it's also helping people to understand what is writing for film and television versus a literary work. And um, again, I think we're very fortunate that just in, in Canada in general, it's probably not enough, but we do have national supports. The BC Arts Council does some amazing work here in BC. There's also things through the city of Vancouver um, and other municipalities, but really the specific programs, um, you know, directly through Creative BC are things like market expansion, like helping people get to uh, get their content to other, sell it to other jurisdictions, countries, et cetera. Yeah. I, I, it's interesting because it often comes up that I think a lot of people still think of uh, Toronto and Ontario as a bit of a hub for literary arts um, writing and publishing. Uh, why do you think it's important to have a vibrant literary and publishing community in the province of BC? I think it's extremely important to have a vibrant literary community and hub here because the country is bigger than Toronto. And while it's the center of so much media and entertainment business, like the largest book publishers, the largest Canadian broadcasters, all of these things, you know, we're realistic. We know they're centralized there. But I always say, it's certainly from a creative perspective, BC punches above its weight, even though sometimes there's less funding coming out here from those federal sources. Um, provincially, we don't have as much funding as maybe a Quebec or an Ontario. However, what people do with what we have, I think, is pretty amazing. And and I think that we, you know, the value of culture and art in our everyday lives is everywhere. Like every company and organization, in my mind, is part of the creative industries in some sense, right? There's people, people, it's all about people. And people um, bring creative ideas to like, uh, how are we going to, you know, do a presentation now we all have so many more tools to us that that any of us can now access. So I think that we, it, you know, it's critical to not just the economy of our province, but just our social well being. So having like the Vancouver Writers Festival, there's a Whistler Writers Festival, there's the Indian Summer Festival, you know, I'm just naming a handful of things that draw in and bring people from elsewhere too to help us, uh, you know, think about things in a different way. So I think it's it's not just about inward looking. It is important for us to be able to support people to get out into the world, but also sometimes bring that world here. Like when we have, um, you know, a friend of mine is Sean Salvadore. He's a a writer from Toronto. He was 
in BC recently, this last fall, going to Whistler to, for the Whistler Writers Festival. Well, to have him come out and talk to the local writing community here, like that's great for him. It's great for the community here to share that. And I think, you know, I think a lot changed also, and obviously in our Zoom lives in the last three years. But I think when it comes to, there's still a thing about place and where we are and coming together and really, you know, whether it's sharing our stories, whether it's, you know, professional um, exchanges, best practices sharing, um, helping, again, I'm not an expert in this, but maybe it's for people to meet a writer like Shyam and understand, like, how did he ever get a large publisher? You know, I know that a lot of that kind of stuff happens at the writers' festivals and other platforms. So they play a critical role. I would never say it's not a good thing to have that. Yeah. And there's also, you mentioned, like, the way that kind of BC kind of helps go like to the Frankfurt Book Festival and those building those connections and um, just networking. And I think that's a big thing that's needed in these days. There's so many challenges facing uh, publishers in particular, whether it's shipping or paper or you know, everything. Every, there seems to be a new problem every week. But um, how does Creative BC kind of help us or the publishing world overcome some of these more modern problems that that we're seeing? Yeah, I mean, you know, I wish we could open a book publishing warehouse, right, where we could print books ourselves. I mean, we all know the global challenges on that. I remember one of the publishers telling me like the year that Barack Obama's latest book came out, how that led to a global shortage of paper and publishing abilities. And I'm like, I, three different people gave me that book that Christmas, <laughs> that one book. Right. So I'm like, yeah, I want to hear his story obviously, but you know, I think it's, it, part of it is um, sometimes we can provide like market intelligence and research support, we can, you know, understand what's going on in other jurisdictions. I think the sector is so well organized, both provincially, but also nationally, that they're so connected. And I think that's really important. You know, I think for us to, again, work closely with the publishing association and individual publishers themselves and understanding what will help them as they go to international markets and how we can make that a coordinated effort. I mean, I, I really think because it's such a tight community here and and some members, some people are members of the Publishers Association, some are not, but they still all seem to come together like we see at the at the book prize every year. You know, I think it's really because we have that mandate with economic development, it is about how do we help your not just sustain your business, but expand your business. So that's why that international market support, or even if it's local support, and ensuring that we can help support the industry association, which really does the day-to-day -day work in connection with the sector. And also just in, and keeping the profile front of mind for when we work with governments at all levels. Um, in April, there's BC Book Day at the legislature in Victoria. I think that's really important to get that profile for this sector. And, you know, I think there's a lot of, I know it's an exciting day at the legislature for all the MLAs because they, they're like, all the publishers are there. They can get their hand, they get to see the books, they get to see the books published in BC, which sometimes may or may not be from, you know, 
local writers, but very often they are. So I think it's really um, supporting them to be able to keep doing what they're doing. And especially when it comes to that market expansion piece. Yeah. What inspires you about the work being done in the BC writing and publishing community? I mean, honestly, I think it's, I think some of it is what they've really done in closing that, I guess we call it the digital divide between publishers and consumers. Um, You know, what Arsenal Pulp Press, as an example, because of all the social justice issues and movements and conversations that were happening in that mid to late 2020 period. uh, I remember in conversations with them, them saying that they had titles that people hadn't had never really sold well, or they hadn't, they were, they didn't even have them published. People could look online and find a writer with a specific uh, voice that they were looking for and lived experience that they could relate to, that they were republishing books that hadn't been in publication for years. So I think the access that people now have to be able to find a book, I think that, you know, we have a really mighty, strong book store community here. I live in Vancouver. I've got Massey books. I've got Pulp Fiction. They're they're kind of in my, you know, work and home zone. Really want to continue to support them because of the great work they're doing with their local communities as well. I think it's how the sector remains engaged, looking at whatever the topics are of the day, uh, but looking beyond that. Um, you know, I, I worked all through high school and university in the public library. I grew up in Burnaby. I worked at the Burnaby Public Library. Uh, I guess that was my first job in the creative industries, in some sense, was working at the public library. And at one point, I thought about going to library school because it. I just saw the impact. I mean, libraries as well, I would say. And again, it's all part of the same ecosystem. The public libraries and the role they play in communities cannot be underestimated. And I don't think maybe a lot of people don't have an in-depth understanding of it. But working in a library for all those years, it was where, you know, it, it was the daycare for some kids. It was where new immigrants hadn't even been in Canada for a week and they would come to get a library card. And English was their second language. You know, these are things that are, that, you know, we need to keep robust and vibrant for us to be able to, you know, be who we are and thrive as a community and as individuals. And I think all of these components are really important and critical. And I, you know, I know in BC, we have book publishers that specifically focus on educational books and the importance of those, you know, in our schools and access. But I think the biggest change we've seen, so all that inspires me, but also just their ability to trying to iterate and, and be innovative and how they're getting their books to people. That was Prem Gill. Prem is the CEO of Creative BC. If you would like to find out more about the BC and Yukon Book Prizes, visit our website at bcyukonbookprizes.com. You can also find us on social media, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening to Writing the Coast.